Well, good morning to all of you. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection Church. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are beginning a new sermon series this morning, and before uh, the scriptures are come and read, I want to say a few things about that to introduce it to you. Uh, We're doing a a four-week series. It's a short one uh, that we're calling COVID and its consequences. Um, We're all kind of tired of talking about the pandemic. (laughs) And so you're like, oh, great, another another sermon series about that. But but here's the point. Um, I think we're still coming to grips with all that it's meant for our faith. And, and I think that there, there's work to do to understand exactly what's happened in the, in the last year and a half and how this pandemic season has, has impacted us. And so I think we do need to talk about some of the things it, it's done to us spiritually. But additionally, a lot of you are new to Resurrection Church. <laughs> in, in, during COVID, uh, a whole bunch of people moved away, you know, because of work from home and other stuff. And then a whole bunch of people moved to Ottawa and have come to Resurrection Church. And so partly what we're doing in this series is not just talking about COVID and its consequences, but really we're trying to articulate what does it mean to be Resurrection Church? And what does it mean to be Resurrection Church in the midst of a pandemic? And so if you're checking us out, if you're new to, new to us, hopefully this will be a, a good introduction to, to where our values are, to, to some of the things that we care about here. But today we are talking about the centrality of the gospel message. And so that's what we're going to uh, do. We're reading this morning from Titus chapter 3. Um, and actually I neglected to write down who was reading the scriptures today. Someone waved me, Brian. All right, thanks. Uh, Brian, if you would come read it for us, you can follow, around, uh, follow along on the back middle panel of your bulletin. Titus Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is God's word. Thanks, Brian. Well, many of you have probably played chess, and you understand that the queen is the most important piece on the chessboard. Now, technically, the king is kind of more important because when the king is checkmated, you know, that's the end of the game. But the queen is the most powerful. 
The queen's the, the center of gravity on the board. If you lose your queen, you are at a major disadvantage. In the Christian life, the Sunday worship service, I think, can be compared to the queen on the chessboard. For most Christians, or many Christians, it's extremely important in sustaining a life of faith. Because at a Sunday service, you sing, you pray, you fellowship, you are discipled, you commune with God, non-believers are invited into the church community and more. Just like a queen can move in any direction on the board, the chessboard, the Sunday service simultaneously accomplishes many, many different aspects of the Christian life. It's extremely important, and I don't think there's anything else quite like it. And for the last year and a half, sustaining a Sunday service with all the changing rules, with everything that's gone on, that's been our main priority. And it remains very important to the life of our church to have a regular Sunday gathering. We think it's difficult to be a Christian without it. But the whole of the Christian life is not contained in Sunday mornings. And to return to our chessboard, there are other pieces on the board besides the queen. You know, knights and, or rooks and pawns and all those things. They're not as versatile but they're essential. If you attempt to play chess with only a queen, you're not going to get very far. So as we do this series that we're calling COVID and its consequences, it's not really about COVID. I don't really have any medical advice, but it's about what myself and other elders have noticed in the past year and a half. As we've looked at our own lives, as we've uh, talked with many of you, as we tried to pay attention to our culture and church in general, we have concerns. And over the next four weeks, we're not really going to talk about the queen on the chessboard. We're not talking about the Sunday worship service really at all. We're talking about some of the other pieces on the board. Uh, we're talking about what, what's happened in other parts of the Christian life. And today we're speaking about, as I've said, the primacy of the gospel message. Now, as you heard read, today's passage is from the book of Titus. But I want to orient you just very briefly to the situation uh, the, the Apostle Paul was writing into so you can understand what he's trying to communicate and how that has relevance to us. Titus is written to Titus. Ah, surprise there. Uh, but Titus was a young pastor on the island of Crete, you know, that island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, the Apostle Paul had visited Crete a number of years before with a number of co-workers, and they'd planted churches all over the island. And Titus had been left there, sent there, to oversee these churches. And in Titus 1 verse 5, Paul tells him, hey, go back to all the towns where there are churches and, and appoint elders in every place. So basically, on Crete, there's this kind of informal network of churches. And the churches are young, but they're vibrant. They got all sorts of things going on. But they're wrestling with how to work out their faith in daily life. So that's the situation Paul is writing into. Now here's what I want to talk about from this passage. I have two points. First, I want to talk about the problems in Crete and Canada. And then the solution in Crete and in Canada. Because if you look at this text, you see two seemingly unrelated problems in the Cretan church. First, in verse 1, there are questions and there are commands about the church's relationship to governments and rulers and authorities. But down in verse 9, there's commands and, and there's, and there's a thing, a, a, an issue raised about people who are being quarrelsome and divisive. And I sort of wonder to myself, if we had looked at this passage in December of 2019, we would have thought, those sound like unrelated problems. Who could imagine a church that simultaneously has issues with their relationship to the government and being divisive. I can't even imagine that. But in the middle of 2021, we're like, oh, of course these things are related. Of course they are connected. So I want to look at them each more closely. So look, go back up to verse 1. Paul tells Titus right there, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now remind means that Paul had already told them this. On his first tour through Crete, as he planted these churches, he'd already told them this. Um, and so submission to governments is not a new idea to Crete or to Christianity, is well established. 
while it's not in our text, but Crete was sort of historically home to a bubbling resentment towards the government. At times they even had open rebellion. It was a place known for not being thrilled with Roman governance. And of course, with all the new Christians, there were bound to be some who had very anti-government views. And Paul has told them, he's like, I told them before, Titus, you go remind them they should be submissive to their rulers and authorities. And submission in this context means something more or something like loyalty. That unless this government is forcing you to disobey the scriptures, uh, you should be willing to live under the rule, the rule of it. In general, he says, Christians are, are to be loyal citizens of the places they live, understanding that God controls everything, and therefore he controls the government that's in power in the place where you live. Paul further explains his position by telling them to be obedient to the government, to obey their rules, but also to be ready to do every kind of good work whenever they can. Further, Paul goes on, they should not speak evil of anyone, which would of course include government officials, um, to refuse to speak evil, that doesn't mean you can't call something evil that is evil. It does not mean that you cannot disagree graciously with a policy or law. To refuse to speak evil means you represent your opponents fairly. You refuse to call them names. You treat them, you treat their views with dignity and respect. And moreover, Paul tells them, don't quarrel. Be gentle, show perfect courtesy, which means something like true humility towards all people. In short, Paul just commands these Christians to live profoundly different lives than they may have lived before. But think about it this way. How do we want to live? If left to our own impulses and our own desires, what would we choose? I think most of us would want governments and rulers to accommodate to our wishes. We'd want laws to be tailored to our own life situation. We want tax breaks that fit our own spending patterns. Or perhaps we want to be free to complain about how dumb our leaders are, how irresponsible they are, how backward. We want to pass judgment on their character, on their parents' character, on, you know, on their, their pet's character. We, we want to re, or we want to refuse to be involved at all. Yeah, it's easier to stand at a distance and offer critiques. If left to our natural selves, most of us would end up contradicting, not living out Paul's commands here. And Paul comes along and tells them, because you are made in the image of Jesus, because you've been renewed, you are being changed, so you should become more and more a little Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what Jesus would do. Because remember, this government that Paul is telling them to be submissive and obedient toward, they're not just differing on how to spend tax dollars. This is a nation that's conquered them. Rome is a, a nation with armies and ambition, a nation with a bloodstained coliseum, a nation that taxes them to pay for their foreign wars. This is not just like a different party. This is like a foreign power that rules with swords and spears. And Paul tells them, live with true humility and gentleness. That's hard. <laughs> That's hard to swallow. If you're young and angry, if you've seen the way that they've treated you know, people around you or treated you, if they've taken advantage of you. But Paul has to command them. He has to remind them of this, probably because it's very difficult for them to obey. But the government thing is not the only problem in Crete. There's a second problem. Look down at verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Now, it may seem strange to our ear to hear Paul warning people about battling over genealogy. You're like, never heard an argument about genealogies before. But all four things he lists here, they all have to do with religious arguments. They're sort of bits and pieces of church arguments that have become absorbing. They've grown from minor issues into major ones. These are not debates between the church and outsiders. Uh, these are debates sort of internal inside the church. 
And note that Paul, the people Paul warns, they're not heretics. They're not denying the faith, but they are people who, by their insistence on arguing about secondary matters, are stirring up division. And Paul says your, those discussions are unprofitable. They yield nothing to the church in terms of gain. They're worthless. And so Paul says, if such discussions, if such arguments do not lead to gain and growth of the church, he says, avoid it. And avoid means like to turn your body and like to face a different direction. Avoid the arguments. Turn your head. And he says, go to great lengths to avoid divisive people as well. If someone's divisive, warn them once, then twice, and then leave them alone. He says, don't engage. Now, what's the underlying issue in Crete? And this is maybe more important. What, what connects divisive arguing with political rebelliousness? Well, in both cases, the gospel is being undermined and devalued. See, in both cases, secondary matters and, and tertiary, like third-level matters, are being elevated to first importance. And the way that people are going about these secondary and, and, and tertiary matters, it's antithetical to the gospel message. And let me show you how. Politics is important. I think it's important for Christians to think wisely about how to relate to our civil leaders and our country. I think you should vote. I think you should participate. Many Christians serve very well in many political arenas. But politics can be all-consuming. We live in Ottawa. There, there are many people in our city for whom political influence, political power is essentially their God. And we know it's their God because they sacrifice everything else in their lives to, to achieve it or to keep it. And I'm not describing all politicians. I'm not, not going to name any names. Uh, don't misunderstand me. But listen, how else should we understand why Ottawa has, at least according to one study I read, the highest rate of divorce of all the major cities in Canada? Could it be that we are sacrificing our marriages to achieve or to keep power? See, when you say to yourself, maybe not out loud, but in your heart, that my life means nothing if my party or my group does not have power, if they're not ascendant, if they're not in control, if in your heart of hearts you say that, you've basically decided that politics is your God. And if power is your God and politics is your God, then Jesus can't be. But it gets more insidious than that. If you refuse to submit to the authorities that God has put in place, which biblically speaking would also include parents, if you're, if you're young, uh, church leaders and political leaders, if you begin to resist all forms of authority, you breed, in your, or you breed in your heart a distrust for any authority. And when you distrust every authority, when you refuse to do good, to speak well of your leaders, what, what eventually happens is that authority is simply reduced to the self. And when you are the ultimate authority in your life, when you trust no one and listen to no one except yourself, that means the only God in your life is you. And Paul knows if you make a pattern of resisting authorities in your life, if you cannot be loyal and gentle with them, it will eventually find your way into view of, uh, view of Jesus and the scriptures because these are authorities as well. And for Christian, the ultimate authority. So let's discuss this. Canada, we're in the midst right now of a political battle. I mean, partially because we have a federal election just a little more than a week away. But partisan tensions are high. Rhetoric is flying. There's debates and things happening. But, but more than just th this current election, over the COVID era, there's been an all-time high, at least from my vantage point, of suspicion and unchristian actions towards all levels of government. And I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm not talking about outsiders. I'm talking about Christians. From Christians, I've heard and seen comments that Titus 3 would say are unchristian. 
And I'm not saying you can't disagree with the policies or raise concerns, even protest. But listen, the name-calling, the speaking of evil, the quarreling, the lack of gentleness, refusals to submit, that's an affront to the gospel. That's an undermining of Jesus Christ. Because in some cases, what a person believes about COVID and how to deal with it has become the most important thing about you. And that should not be true if you are a Christian. And in a similar way, COVID has seemingly destroyed our ability to disagree with each other in kind and thoughtful ways. Now, I have the privilege of interacting regularly with a few good friends, Christian friends mostly, who hold different views than me on various COVID things. And I know it's not always easy. I know it's not. And I've had times, and I'm sure they've had times, when we've been mad or sad or whatever about it. But the level of divisiveness, the calling of names, the sheer amount of quarreling, dissensions, this is not Christian. And look, I know you're tired of talking about it. I'm sick of talking about it. But we have some time to go yet. We have at least a few months. And we have to learn how to love those with whom we differ. I mean, imagine for a moment if during this pandemic, our business leaders or our political leaders had pointed at the Christian church and said, wow, look at how they get along despite their differences. They know how to love each other even when they disagree. Like it's almost laughable because the church is so far from that. Because I go on social media, I've read the articles, and you see people saying, if a church insists on this policy or that policy, they're compromising liberals. And others saying, if they don't have this policy or don't have that policy, then they're neighbor-hating lunatics. Like, what in the world is going on? Christians can have different opinions. Christians cannot agree. But when we say another Christian or another church's approach to COVID makes them not a Christian anymore... What makes someone a Christian is do they trust Jesus Christ for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? That's what makes someone a Christian, not what they believe about masks. Look, the elders of our church have, and we have to continue to make decisions about how we order our life together. We have to. We have to make decisions about masks and, and, and social distancing and all these sorts of things. And I know over the past year and a half, some of you, maybe most of you, I don't know, are not thrilled with the decisions we've made. That's sort of fine. You're a grown-up. You can make your own decisions about that. But we cannot descend into fruitless quarreling about these things. Because our approach to COVID is not what holds us together. Jesus holds us together. He is our life. He is the common thread. See, the problems in Crete were political agitation and rebellion and this argumentative, divisive spirit. But the deeper problem, it's always the same. A different God had displaced Jesus as king. And the good news about Jesus was being overshadowed and it was being pushed aside and it was being lost in favor of all these lesser interests. And is our situation so very different from theirs? Argumentativeness, divisiveness, political agitation, Let's talk about part two, which is the solution in Crete and Canada. Most mornings at my house, we listen to audiobooks while we eat breakfast. For the 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe, when we're pouring cereal or buttering toast or whatever we're doing, we listen to stories. And because I have four uh, small children, we listen to a lot of children's books. And so right now we're into a book called The Mysterious Benedict Society. One of the children in this story has a photographic memory and is a voracious reader, sort of like a, a childhood prodigy genius kind of kid. 
And because he's read so much and understands so much, he, can, he basically can read a few dozen different languages. But the, the situation comes up in the book where he needs to speak them, but he can't. He can only read them. And this brilliant genius child, <laughs> whose name is Sticky, uh, he's like, I, I can't make my mouth make the right sounds. I can read the words on paper, and I know what they mean, but I can't like, speak them into the real world, the physical world. In a similar way, we may understand that uh, the rejection of authority is opposed to the gospel. We may understand that div- uh, divisiveness is opposed to the gospel message. But I think for a lot of us, we don't know how to stop. Like we know the words. You can read them in Titus 3. We can see what they mean. But when it comes to living them out, it's hard to get there. So let's, let's be honest. It's easy to talk about submitting to government authorities. But what happens if you think they're idiots? or if you think they're power-hungry, or spinous, or whatever you think about them. It may be easy to talk about not being divisive or argumentative, but what happens when the person in front of you is wrong and proud about it? <laughs> what happens when they live in your house? What happens if they don't like you? I think the question that nearly all of us have when it comes to this stuff, submitting to rulers, being gentle and kind, is how? How do we do this? How can we continue to speak well of our government during the COVID era? How can we be gentle with those who disagree with us, whatever side you are on? Because it's hard. It's really, really hard. Well, hopefully, Paul is all over that question. He gives a lengthy theological justification for the how. He tells us how to obey when it gets really hard. Look at verse 3. 4. That word signals... This is the reason I said what I said. He's basically telling us in verse 3, here is the how. And if you look after that, he doesn't talk about gritting your teeth. He doesn't talk about trying harder. He talks about who they are. And he tells the Christians in Crete, remember who you were. And who were they? What were they? And by extension, what were we? Well, buckle up for a second. It's not very pretty. He calls them, in order, foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to passions and pleasures, full of malice and envy, hated and being hated and hating. Now, some of those words are obvious in their meaning, but let's just let's just quickly define our terms. To be foolish in Bible terms means to live a life without God. A fool is not a stupid person; it just means that you're living as if there is no God. Disobedient that means you're not interested in following God's law. To be led astray means you're susceptible to false truths, get easily sidetracked. To be a slave to passions and desires means that you're kind of in so deep into into yourself, you don't have a choice. You may think you have a choice, you may feel like you have a choice, but really you're just being driven along by your desires. To pass days in malice and envy means a terrible kind of anti-socialness, where you're obsessed alternately with either hating other people or wanting what they have. It's 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 an inability to take joy in who another person is, to love them for who they are. And to be hated by others and to be hate one another, Paul uses this word that sort of means odious. To have a terrible stench. That other people around you stink to you and you to them. In short, Paul says, all of the things you hate about other people, you once were. Oh, you're mad that you're ruled by an atheistic, selfish, malicious government. (laughs) Paul says, guess what? That's exactly what you were. Oh, you're annoyed because 
People around you keep believing stupid things and want to argue with you and you want to argue with them. Guess what? You were once led astray, ignorant of God, enslaved by your own passions and desires. In short, Paul tells the Cretans, of course the governments are hard to submit to. Of course there's argument and divisiveness everywhere. Of course all these commands are hard to obey. It's exactly what we should expect when people are left to their natural state. But what makes Christians different? What changed? When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This is extremely important. Why are Christians the way they are? Why, why do they see the way they do? It's not because they're wiser. It's not because they could see through lies while others were deceived. It's because God intervened in your life. And saved you from a life of malice and envy and hatred and being ruled by your impulses. And this passage would tell us, if you had been left to your natural self, if God had not done anything, you would be exactly like the people you despise. But the reason you could submit to a Roman government or a Canadian one, it's not because of who they are. (laughs) It's because of who God is. It's because of what God has done. That God has saved you from yourself. The reason you can choose love and gentleness and kindness in the face of an argumentative and angry and mean world is because that's precisely how God acted towards you when you were ugly and mean towards him. See, the church gathers around this central core that the loving kindness and goodness of our God, our Savior, appeared and saved us. That's the middle of the church. And we, we, we covered this topic today because we worry for us, for the broader Canadian church, that we've lost that in the pandemic. Or that further division is coming. Or the fault lines that COVID has exposed are going to get deeper and wider. And if it isn't this issue, maybe it'll be the next one. The church does not gather around personal liberty, as important as that may be. Neither does the church gather around a view of the boundaries of government control, even though that's important as well. What we gather around is the fact that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That is the mystery of faith. That Christ is our life. And there is no Lord but Jesus. And sometimes you're going to have to make decisions about masks and vaccination and everything else, but that is not your life. Christ is your life. Christ is our life. Sometimes you have to make decisions about how to relate to a government, but that is not your life. Christ is our life. And I worry that we've lost that. Now look finally at verse 8. We skipped over lots of good stuff. My apologies. Some other time, we'll come back and preach the whole book. Paul says that what he's just taught is trustworthy. It's something that can take serious weight. And he tells Titus, this young pastor, he says, insist on these things. Insist on it. Make it a point that you're willing to fight over if needed. And he says, those who believe in God should be careful to devote themselves to good work. So to be a Christian church right now in this environment means taking Paul's teaching seriously, that we will insist upon the gospel message and the work of Jesus being the center of our faith, and out of that can flow a desire to do good works. So please hear me. We don't want a church divided over secondary matters. You can think about them, you should talk about them, but as elders, we do not want the gospel to become displaced or undermined. 
And we will not speak of other Christians and other churches as non-Christian if they do not take the same stance as us. Because the gospel is our foundation. And from that, Paul says, good works flow. So you need something to focus on? (laughs) You're tired of talking about it? Well, just ask the question, what good can I, what good can we do right now? You heard about Matthew House earlier. You're tired of talking about COVID? Great. Come help us build some rooms for refugees who are new to Canada who don't have anywhere else to live. Just do that. (laughs) Just focus on that for a while. Like it's probably less than all we want to do. But what good can we do? How can we show perfect courtesy to all people? How can we be gentle? How can we be kind in the face of a divided world? The answer, according to Paul, is because you've seen it in the face of Jesus. Because Christ has died, because Christ has risen, because Christ will come again. It's a new day for all who trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks so timelessly to issues that Crete, <laughs> that thousands of years ago, feels so weirdly similar to us today. Teach us to be a church that loves you, that loves our neighbor well, and does good to whomever we can. Help us to take the gospel seriously, to put it in its rightful place at the center of our church and the center of our faith and help everything else to find its rightful spot as well. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.